Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called A Note to Our Readers, Journey with Jesus, 2004 to 2012. This week brings two important milestones. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, on Wednesday, June 20th at 7.09 p.m., we'll observe the summer solstice, the official beginning of summer, and the longest day of the year. Schools are out, vacations are in, and our days begin to get shorter. Secondly, this week marks the completion of eight years of Journey with Jesus. We launched our weekly webzine for the Global Church on June 23, 2004. Since then, we've served over 3 million readers in 233 countries and territories. Or, more accurately, since every once in a while I get this question, in 233 of the 252 so-called Internet top-level domains. Thanks to our webmaster, Ray Cowan, who in many ways has made Journey with Jesus possible. In his day job, Ray's a particle physicist for MIT at Stanford. Whereas I write all of our content, except for an occasional guest review and the monthly music reviews by David Werther, Ray manages all things technical. If you have even a little experience at this, you know that's not an easy job. Journey with Jesus posts new material every Sunday night and Ray hasn't missed a single one of those weekly rituals in 416 weeks. Many thanks to our webmaster, Ray. And thanks, too, to our Journey with Jesus board, which holds quarterly meetings. Our board remains a source of support, encouragement, wisdom, and provocation. And thanks to our donors, Their generosity has made Journey with Jesus all free to all readers all the time. We're also blessedly free of all advertisement. If you go to our drop-down menu, Who We Are, and then click on About Us, you'll discover Journey with Jesus' ministry vision. I think of these as six aspects of a Christian worldview for the 21st century. First of all, my weekly essays follow the Revised Common Lectionary. And so Journey with Jesus aims for biblical fidelity. That's not easy. The Bible is a mini-library of 66 books, written mainly in Hebrew and Greek by about 40 authors across more than a thousand years. It's long. My Bible is 1,600 pages and has many plot twists. It's rooted in ancient cultural settings that are foreign to us today. In this week's reading, to take just one example, David beheads Goliath, a classic case of sacred violence. Or take Job 38-41, to which are a withering divine interrogation of Job that consists of 71 questions for him, like, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? But despite the complexities of the Bible as a human word about God, the believers still listen to it for a divine word 
about humanity. Secondly, Journey with Jesus aims for cultural relevance. The issues we face today are different than those we faced 2,000 years ago. We publish not only essays on the lectionary, but also books, but also reviews of books, film, music, and poetry. If you go to our comprehensive index of over 400 book reviews, for example, you'll find some religious titles, but also reviews from a dozen subject categories like art, science, history, and politics. At Journey with Jesus, I hope the ancient biblical text and the contemporary cultural context collide in an unending conversation. Third, Real people have honest questions, and so a journey with Jesus, no query is off-limits. Vibrant faith requires critical inquiry. The readings from Job this week, for example, contemplate the problem of evil. The Gospel in Mark relates one of Jesus' most famous miracles, the calming of the sea, and what to make of David's sacred violence in 1 Samuel 17. Critical inquiry fosters theological modesty. In the Philokalia, St. Peter of Damascus of the 12th century put it this way, St. John Chrysostom says that we do not know wholly even what is given in part, but we know only a part of a part. Fourth, a significant portion of JWJ readers are pastors who follow the Revised Common Lectionary and use us for sermon preparation. If you want to gain a new respect for your pastor, just try to write a sermon every single week. And so here at JWJ, we honor pastors. And even though the church swarms with many faults, as John Calvin once said, we likewise acknowledge the role of the church in the life of faith. I'm Protestant to the core, but I still appreciate the aphorism of Cyprian. You can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. Fifth, the church was the world's first truly global institution. And today it remains the most globalized institution. Even after eight years, I'm still amazed at Journey with Jesus' global reach, thanks to the distributive power of the Internet. Just last week, for example, readers from 119 countries visited Journey with Jesus. And so we encourage a global vision. Since God's kingdom encompasses every nation, tribe, people, and language, Revelation 7-9, Christians ought to be geographic, cultural, national, and ethnic egalitarians. For us, there's no geographic center of the world, only a constellation of points equidistant from the heart of God. I love how the epistle to Diognetus from the year 130 captures the consequent tension between Christian confession and geopolitical identity. He says, Christians dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as if foreigners. 
Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. And number six, Journey with Jesus celebrates ecumenical generosity. The Spirit of God blows where he will. We typically think of Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant believers, but Christian diversity bursts those simplistic boundaries. Philip Jenkins reminds us of our Syriac cousins in the East in his wonderful book, The Lost History of Christianity, the thousand-year golden age of the church in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, and how it died. And according to the demographer David Barrett, author of the World Christian Encyclopedia, global Christianity has experienced an explosion of what he calls neo-apostolic movements. Distinct from tr traditional Protestants, and numbering about 400 million Christians in 20,000 movements, Barrett calls neo-apostolic believers as those who reject historical denominationalism and restrictive or overbearing central authority. He estimates they will constitute 580 million members by the year 2025, 120 million more than all Protestant movements. In two decades, these sectarian movements will outnumber Orthodox and Protestant Christians and be almost half the size of worldwide Catholicism. In closing these first eight years, if you'd like to support Journey with Jesus, here are two suggestions. First, sharing our site with your friends is a huge help to us. Just use the email this page function. You'll notice you can enter multiple email addresses with a single request. And second, I'll follow Paul's example in Ephesians 6.19, where he writes, Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For books this week, I review Alexandra Fuller. The title, Cocktail Hour Under the Tree of Forgetfulness. New York, Penguin Press, 2011, 238 pages. <clears throat> In this, her third family memoir, Alexandra Fuller, born 1969, honors what she calls her matchless and wonderful parents and the family life she experienced growing up in a bygone era of Rhodesia, which in 1979 became Zimbabwe, and also Malawi and Zambia. Fuller was born in England, but moved to southern Africa with her parents when she was two, living there for the next 20 years. In 1994, she moved to Wyoming with her American husband, where she lives today. Alexandra Fuller's debut memoir about growing up in Africa, Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight, 2001, won several awards, including a New York Times notable book. Then, her second book, Scribbling the Cat, 2004, describes the atrocities of war through her strange friendship with a battle-scarred veteran of Rhodesia's war. Her current book, 
Cocktail Hour focuses mainly on our eccentric mother, Nicola Fuller, a woman of deep Scottish roots who lived most all her life in Africa and who was plagued by both alcohol and madness, not to mention the turbulence of that time and place. Her father, Tim, was the silent type. His mother was what she calls a quote-unquote catastrophic drunk, and so he too loved the bottle and his pipe, perhaps his two sources of solace as he bounced from job to job and country to country across the decades. Most of all, though, Tim and Nicola loved each other and their family. Despite the forces of history that shook the African continent during those years, and despite numerous family tragedies that included the deaths of two of their children. It was not an easy life, not by a long shot. Fuller writes about her family with a combination of humor, brutal candor, and genuine compassion. Her mother especially faced her manic highs, deep loads, and periods of hospitalization with courage and a British stiff upper lip that served her well. No use to complain. Much of the book appears to have been written a few years ago when Fuller returned to her parents' home in Africa in order to unearth the family archaeology and catalog the storytelling. The story is very much one about attachment to a land, which land she describes as mom's love affair and dad's religion. Despite the wars, the heartaches, mental illness, and disappointments, it's still no surprise that her parents want to be buried in Zambia. Cocktail Hour Under the Tree of Forgetfulness. The author is Alexandra Fuller. My movie review considers a film from Japan. It's called Hero Dreams of Sushi. At night, I dream about sushi, says the legendary hero Ono. I leap out of bed and write down my ideas. Hero Ono is 85 years old now. He's been making sushi for 70 years. Some say he's the best in the world. This much is true. His little 10-seat restaurant in the underground Tokyo subway earned a three-star rating from Michelin. Hiro has no life except for his craft. He loves what he does. He's hard on himself, constantly trying to improve and demanding on his apprentices. He pays the closest attention to the tiniest of details, like massaging the octopus for 40 minutes instead of 30 or observing that a customer is left-handed and presenting the sushi accordingly. His customers say they get nervous eating there because Hiro stares at them to see their reaction. This documentary film focuses on Hiro, his two sons who live in his shadow even as they work with him, several apprentices, the local fish markets that supply his restaurant, a rice expert, and a Japanese food critic. If you'd like to eat at Sushi Abashi Hiro, plan accordingly, because the reservation list is a month long, and meals start at about $300. Hiro Dreams of Sushi. The film is in Japanese with English subtitles.
And finally this week, for poetry, we've posted a poem by Wisla Simborska, born in 1923. Simborska uh, is from Poland and won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1996. The title of his poem is called In Praise of Self-Deprecation. The buzzard has nothing to fault himself with. Scruples are alien to the black panther. Piranhas do not doubt the rightness of their actions. The rattlesnake approves of himself without reservations. The self-critical jackal does not exist. The locust, alligator, trichina, horsefly, they all live as they live and are glad of it. The killer whale's heart weighs 100 kilos, but in other respects it is light. There is nothing more animal-like than a clear conscience on the third planet of the sun. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June 24, 2012, concluding eight years of internet ministry at Journey with Jesus. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.